Welcome to Cardboard Box Games. I'm Adam. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. Happy Father's Day, everyone. First off, today's Father's Day weekend. Yeah, yeah and today is actually Father's Day. So our main topic today is getting going from good to great in Keyforge. And what we've done is we've kind of broken it into five stages. And to be honest with you, there might be stages beyond this. Probably. But this is what we feel you'll start seeing as you progress through your level of skill at Keyforge. Anyway, let's get started. All right, this is episode 25, and we always start off every week with card of the week. So, Andrew, do you want to start us off today? Oh, sure, of course. So, my card I picked was a shadow card, and you gain an amber for playing it. It's an action. It's called Sucker Punch. It's an alpha, so you can you have to play it first card. You can't discard anything. You just have to play it. And, the, and what it does, it deals two damage to an enemy creature. And if that creature is destroyed, you archive Sucker Punch. I think the card is pretty interesting. And even, if you have two in your deck, though, you can only get use it once. But I think if you have, like, one, I think it'd be pretty good to have. And so then you can do really anything. And I found when I have two of them... I'm actually okay if I don't archive it. I'll just play it for the amber at the beginning of my turn and then let it go to the discard. Yeah. Knowing that I have another one that I can archive, or maybe I already have it archived. That's at least kind of how I've thought about that card. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Um, I actually really like Sucker Punch. What do you guys think? I do too. But sometimes the alpha ability gets annoying. When cause... I have two in my hand, I hate it. Yeah. yeah that's but I just am okay with this card. I mean, the fact it gives you an amber and it's reusable and the number of little creatures that are just painful to deal with that's why i think it's pretty good agreed all right so adam you want to do yours how about you go first time or second? all right i'll go um so i opened the deck and i got this yesterday for father's day and i opened it up and it had a brobnar creature in there that's rare with four power called grumpus tamer and it came with two of the war grumpuses with the deck Ooh, and yeah. the Brobnar in that deck was just incredibly fun. And unless you get board wiped, that deck I feel like is incredibly strong. So anyway, its ability is reap, search your deck and discard pile for a war grumpus, reveal it and add it to your hand, then shuffle your deck. And what the interesting thing is, war grumpus doesn't always come with grumpus tamer, right? Yeah. Uh, I got a deck with just just grumpus. war grumpus, right? Yeah, well, just two war grumpuses and no tamer. Yeah. And they're all rare. All of them are rare, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, like you can ask Adam. I was playing against him, and and I actually Destroyed I let you play me. it as well too. Yeah, we switched decks. And the Brobnar, like there's so many Brobnar creatures, and then it has that not finished with you discard, mm -hmm. so you can shuffle in all your Brobnar cards again. So when my, they die, literally, I had like a few cards left in my deck. I shuffled in nine Brobnar creatures, oh. and then I was able to just go boom right back out again. I really enjoyed it. It was super fun to play. Yeah, that deck is powerful with Brobnar, especially. The one thing I would tell you with Grumpus Tamer, though, is that it does reshuffle your discard pile back into your deck when you use his reap ability. Oh. So if you... You need to make sure you're strategic about when you want to use that. Because there are times, like... It was early in the game, I didn't care. Like, I'd have three cards in my discard pile, shuffle them back in. But there were times late in the game where it's like, hmm, I kind of want... Kind of want my stuff to die so that I can shuffle it back in with the not finished with you yet card in my hand. So then I would use, I'd fight with them instead of reap with them. Okay. Yeah. But uh, 
because I feel like there are times, especially with the deck that I had, that I wanted the Brabner house to be out on the board, and and the uh, it was definitely my main house. So you just have to keep that in mind that if you don't want your discard pile shuffle back in, that reap ability can be a liability. All right, Adam. Okay, so my card is a Brumnar card also. It's Drummer Knot. It's a six-power creature. Amazing card. Yeah, He's a giant, is. and his ability is play, fight, and reap. Return a friendly giant creature to your hand. And that card's been errata to say return another friendly giant creature. So a yep. lot of new players get confused by that. And that card works so good with the Grumpus it does. And the war grumpus. I especially love all the synergy you can do with Ganger Chieftain and um, another card where you deal two damage to each enemy flank oh, creature. That card, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Because I would play that guy first, play Drummer Not, return it, play it again. Four damage. Basically, four damage to the flank creature. Yeah. Which can be really powerful. There's really fun. A lot of cool things that you can do with Drummer Not. It's surprisingly how good he is, actually. The one thing that confuses a lot of people, I will say, is the rule of six. Is something that if you have a drum or not Ginger Chieftain combo, I would actually keep a dice out just to keep track of how many times you've played Ginger Chieftain and how many times you've used drum or not. And remember, the rule of six is play or use. So if you play a drum or not and then a Ginger Chieftain, you can't actually get all six amber. You can only get five because oh. one of the rule of six is that you've played it and then now five more times you can reap with him by oh, playing okay. Ginger Chieftain. So it's just something to remember that there are like there are synergies that can get confusing. So keep track of your roll of six when you play. Play and use counts the same. And also, if you have two drummer knots, you can only use a drummer knot six times. So you can't use each drummer knot six times. So it, it, it does tame it down a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. But I've definitely seen some confusion around that. Yeah, I think I definitely messed up with the Ganger Chieftain <laughs> combo. Yeah, yeah. same. Yeah, if you play Ganger Chieftain, you can only get five Amber. If you, or you can only fight, you know, there's a total, you can only fight, reap, or play something six times. And all they right. all stack together, right? Yep, they all okay. stack together. That's why it's good to just keep a dice out, because by the time you get to the fourth or fifth, and you're like, I can't remember, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a big fan of just having a dice out when I play decks like that to keep track of it. Same thing for Ganger Chieftain, if you... Say Drummer Knot's already down, yeah, and then you reap with him. You play Ganger Chieftain, ready him, and then reap with him again because there's no enemy creature. You can only play Ganger Chieftain six times. So by the sixth time, he'll have to just stay in your hand. You can't actually play him again mm. if you do that final reap with Ganger Chieftain or um, Drummer Knot. Drummer Knot. So just remember, like keep track of both of those cards anytime you've got like a combo going back and forth like that you got to keep track of the number so anyway the big thing that i was talking to the boys about today was that i've learned and i wanted to get their opinion on it so we talked about this before the video quite a bit and um we know we're not going to have all of this perfect and we're going to change our opinion of this going forward just as we've changed over the last six months but what i believe is that there are five stages of going from a good or okay Keyforge player to a great Keyforge player. Yeah. And there are there are certain things that I just want to like call out first. To be great, you can't get ordering. You can't have ordering mistakes. You can't, you can't be playing yeah. your cards and then all of a sudden be like, oh, I should have played that in the wrong order. Or I played that in the wrong order. Yeah. Like, so there are some like... There's just some like things you have to get good at. 
We're not talking about those type of things. So you you just have to you have game. to be able to play your cards in the right sequence and be able to look at all the interactions on the board and do that. That's something that you just need to get good at. And that's part of going from good to great, but that's not the main thing that we wanted to talk about today. So I wanted to say like the first thing that I've seen, and I've taught a lot of people Keyforge, a lot of new people Keyforge, and it's really started to become very clear to me the stages that people go through. So I wanted to talk about the first stage. The first stage is most people that come into Keyforge, now this isn't gonna be true for everyone, but most people that I've worked with come in from like Hearthstone or Magic, uh, Magic Gathering, the Gathering same for or Pokemon. Pokemon. Same for us. Yeah, same for us. So when we started playing the game, what you realized, uh, what you start doing is you're like, okay, I need to control the board. I'm just gonna like play one creature because I have five creatures down there. I'm gonna fight, and that's all I'm gonna do is I'm just yeah. gonna keep fighting. But you're gonna be like, man, how can I get any amber? Like, why am I still so far behind? A lot of people don't know about how to really use a reap. Early on, yeah, a lot of people yeah. don't realize that, and they they definitely just focus on fighting and playing creatures. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, and I've seen a lot of new people do this. So you guys Same. agree with that? That's kind of we where do people agree. start? Yep. Yeah. We yeah. all probably just thought fighting was the key. But, I mean, even um, the people that I've actually taught how to play Keyforge, I've watched them, and it took them several games before I saw them start moving into Phase 2, which I'll talk about here in a second. So start. I think one of the things to talk about is that you have to find where you are in these series of steps. And then start really looking at how to get to the next one. Because it's, I think it's hard to skip levels. That's at least my perspective. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, to kind of see what you guys think too. So step two is you start realizing, oh, wow, I, I can actually play as many cards as I want. So like early on, you're like trying to take care of your cards. They're valuable, right? You don't, you just want to like maximize every creature on the board and you don't really think about playing everything out of your hand very early on this is the very beginning of the game step two is what you'll see and you actually see people talk about this in strategies there are some like um and there are some like valid high level strategies that focus around step two but honestly i think the when we get up to step five that's where the magic actually starts happening in playing keyforge when amazing things happen but step two is play as many cards you can you do not really care too much about the board. You use the board as much as you can, but you play whatever you have the most of in your hand. Mm-hmm. And what you will find by making that switch, and I have seen this at our local game store, and I've seen this at my office. You tell someone that is like in that creature mode, you tell them, all right, I want you to change your mindset, and I want you to know that this isn't the end-all, be-all strategy, but I want you to just get in the habit of playing every card you can. And, and dump your hand every time. And I know we definitely went through that. We did, yes. yes. So, I mean, what did you guys experience when we went from cards are valuable, protect them battling, to playing as many cards as possible? So, from the first phase, I like lost most of my games. But when we were playing together, we were like, pretty evenly since we were all doing the same thing. Yep. Yes. And then the second phase, I, we actually started winning more. By doing the second phase and playing all our cards, because Raw Amber helped us gain Amber and Seal with cards, abilities, and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, uh, also, I realized that 
once you started playing a bunch of cards from her hand, you didn't really reap as much, really use your creatures that much, in my opinion, anyway. Yep, that's very true. It's exactly true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I know, Andrew, when we first, like, were playing with you, um, we kind of had that same experience with you as well, but when you started getting into the idea where you're playing your entire hand... I didn't really like that. You didn't like that? Mm-mm. What was the reason? Because there are some... There, there's times to play cards and there's times to not play cards. Like, I could have stole, like, mm, I just didn't like the idea. There's cards, like Urchin, for example, if your opponent has no Amber, should I dump it or not? I probably should keep it because I can That's stop my opponent. exactly right. So that leads us in to stage three. And stage three is like a balancing, and this is why it's important, because once you get to the point where you're like, wow... I'm playing all these cards, but I'm not... This card's really powerful, but if I play it now, it won't it's work. not doing anything. So you have to balance that a little bit with the board presence and what you have in your hand. So you're looking at what you have in your hand, you look what you have on the board, you look at your opponent, and you found this balance. And one of the things that... Yesterday, I was giving some advice to someone who was on um, definitely, definitely stage two. They were just playing everything they could in their hand. And there were times they had a ton of creatures out, but, but they would play a completely different house and dump three cards, knowing that they they could have very easily put me in a position where they would have got their second key and I couldn't have stopped them. So what I told them is I'm, I said, sometimes it's really, it's a hard balance. So I'm not gonna tell you that I can give you a formula for when you should do one or the other. But I will say there's this balance between Getting to six amber every turn, maximizing the value of cards in your hand, and maximizing the value of cards on the board. So it isn't like do one or the other. It's you have to look at the state of everything and like, okay, if I focus on the board, if I focus on the board, I can get to six amber. If I focus on my hand, I'm only going to be at five amber. Mm -hmm. So you need to figure out at that point when it's right to do one thing or the other. So stage three really allows you to start beating people at stage two and stage one. So stage twoers, they're going to be the ones that you play against that have huge creature boards, and they're not reaping with them. They're playing their hand. We saw it at the Vault Tour. We did. We saw it. We see it at our local game store. But what you need to find out is, especially in Age of Arc, Age of Ascension, getting to six amber as many times as you can in a game is very vital. Is super, super important. Like it. And so stage three is like the sweet spot where you start moving into like what I believe is competitive play. And you can start having some incredible games. I don't know, what do you guys think about stage three? Like the the balancing between what cards can do now versus like getting to six amber versus your board. I think it's very necessary, yeah. but then there comes a time where you actually have to like play the card, discard it, because... I used to hold on to key charge like since the beginning of the game, and I never actually used key charge the whole entire game. And you basically yeah. put a chain on yourself. Yeah, so now I just discard the card right away if I get it, because I don't want to keep that down, keep me down from mm-hmm. card from yep. that. Unless if you have two keys and your opponent has two keys, and if you could use key charge on to them. win the game. Yes, that is actually true. That's that exactly is, what yeah. I do. Because, like, if I have key charge and I'm like, the only way I'm going to win this game is to figure out a key charge turn. Mm-hmm. I will not discard. Which is a perfect segue 
into stage four. Mm -hmm. Because once you get to the point that you guys just talked about, I believe that is when you hit stage four. Stage four is, now you cannot be in stage four unless you really know your deck. So I wanna, I wanna say that again, like going to a sealed tournament, you are not going to be playing at a stage four the way that we're thinking about it right now. Yes. Until maybe three or four games in. Like you're gonna start out at hopefully a stage three because you're gonna be looking at everything there, but you're not gonna know exactly what's in your deck. Stage four is about playing what you have in your hand on the board, trying to get the six amber, but also thinking about the future. I'm in a bad spot. They have a huge problem on the board. I can still get the six amber, but now I have to balance in the fact that I have a board wipe in my deck. I need to get to that board wipe where I'm gonna lose this game. There's a lot of like little decisions you have to make based on cards that you're you're gonna play. For example, Adam, the game that you and I were playing with Evanescence Principle, when you're looking for like, my only way I can win is Evanescence Principle. That's the only thing yep. I can do. When you start playing around what you have in your deck and making decisions to optimize the chance of you getting that card, that is stage four. And this is when I think Keyforge actually becomes super incredible for you to play. I think it becomes like a whole different game in my opinion because you see so many more avenues. So I don't know, what do you think about that? What do you guys think? I totally agree with you. Cause um my opponent, they had like 30, 20 amber and I couldn't stop them. Mm -hmm. And I was playing my Ponderous Duelist of Dreadwick deck yeah. and I knew I had too much protect in my deck somewhere i have two of them so i figured there's a chance for me to get it so then i just threw all of my like untamed cards down trying to get all the cards i need to actually try to steal a bunch and i actually did get them and the next turn i stole a bunch from them and it really helped me nice. come back. it makes a huge difference when you know what's in your deck yeah and you not only do you need to know what's in your deck and andrew this is important for you too because you've um your parent that flees from dirt is one that I think you're really good at this with. It's something where you um, you seem to be able to navigate that deck in a way that you know what your answers are that you're looking for. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and also for you, another one is like the combinations of cards and how they work together. So there are like Drama Knot and Gengar Chieftain. Yeah. When do you hang on to uh, drum or not, hoping that you get a Gengar Chieftain in your hand? You need to figure that out based on how many cards you got left in your deck, what the board state is, what you have in your hand, what other houses you have in your hand. Um, so there's like these micro decisions that you have to make that actually add up to being an exceptional player. So if you can get to stage four, you're not going to win all your games. No matter what stage you're in, you're not going to win all your games. Yeah. There's, two, there's a lot of variance, and the randomness of drawing cards and stuff is there. But you're still going to win. But you can optimize it. Yeah. You can get 60% win rate, 70% win rate, and that's what takes you to the next level, in my opinion. Uh, and this only happens, though, like, again, if you know your deck, like your parent that flees from dirt, yeah. like your deck that you were just talking about, where you played it for quite a while. Um, I've probably played the parent that flees from dirt like 50 times. Maybe even more. Like you yeah. played it a lot on Crucible and stuff too. In tournaments, you've played it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Eleven eight. chains on it, not eight chains on it. I think I have eight, eight, eight or nine chains. Yeah. But once you get to that point, you just you're so confident because you feel like you have an answer to everything. When you find a deck 
that you just know. And understand it, what combos there are, when to hold cards, when to not. Exactly. Like, understand if you have an answer to the problem. Exactly. Going back to that key charge thing that Adam was talking about, you will know if key charge is possible based on what you have left in your deck. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to look through your discard pile. Remember, the order does matter, though, so don't get them mixed up anymore. Which is... Which is... um. Interesting, because I have caught myself like shuffling. I'm like, oh crud, and then <laughs> that's something to get used to. And also, don't forget your chains, because I realized lots of people kept forgetting their chains. Yes, this is also like part of like being a good player as a whole. You have to like get your chains right. You have to um, play in the right order. Like none of this stuff will fix that. So mm-hmm. look for things that you can do. Think of all the different possibilities. And I still make play mistakes. It's like, oh, I didn't see that creature beside that creature, so now this would have made more sense. And you're gonna make those mistakes, and that's just keeping you from being an optimal like stage four player, in my opinion. So yes. basically, just look through all your cards, look through all the plays, and do it again to make sure that it's exactly right. Because I picked Shadow one time, and I thought I could kill one of their important creatures that's making me draw less cards. Yeah. But then I realized they had taunt guys, so I'm like, no. oh. I have done the same thing. It was already too late for me to go back. I played a bunch of cards already. I'm like, well, yep. that sucks. I'll do it next turn um, then. I went, um, when we went to the tournament, like last, last Saturday, I went against a person that didn't understand how to use chains. So they thought they... They lose chains at the beginning of their turn and the end of their turn. Oh. So. You had to explain it to him? I had to explain it to him, but he didn't understand it. And I was like, he doesn't, I can't teach him. The best way, uh, it's hard. It's hard, yeah. The best way to like tell someone like that is, um, is just like, you just got to be really friendly and nice with them because mm-hmm. it's you don't want to come off like a rules like critic because it, yeah. it is this community is not about this has got to be this way and you got to do this and that's not the type of game fun. it is it's supposed to it's be a fun, fun game yeah so be like oh no like chains only happen if you were to draw a card and uh if you were to draw a card you only draw you draw up to one less and you lose a chain. It's like that's just the way the rules work and, and it doesn't if, if you need to we can pull up the rules book so you just so you can see that or course, something like that. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I mean most of the time people are pretty open to learning and and I'm I've definitely been wrong around rules. There's times I've played a card, oh my gosh, um what is that little that one power disc creature? Gub. Gub, yeah. Yeah. I I have played him so many times, and I did not know when he wasn't on a flank he had taunt. And plus five power. I knew he had plus five power. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. But I just quit reading after that. So <laughs> all this time, like, I've probably, I, I can't remember specific cases, but I know when my opponents attacked me, I've not been thinking about him as it's a taunt hard creature. To, it's hard to remember taunt. It really is. It's hard. It's hard on him because it's like the very last word on the card. <laughs> and Adam pointed it out to me, I'm like, Oh, crud. <laughs> and I know that I haven't been thinking about that when my opponent had a gob. I haven't been thinking about that. So I feel like I've made a ton of misplays around gub already. Yeah, so. yeah gub's one of my favorite cards by far because I just plan everything out using gub to like attack opponents too. Titan Librarian for me, man. I just love that card so much. Yeah. Gub, I don't think he's that good. But I mean... Plus the taunt is good though. Yeah. So I mean, get, keeping him—it's hard to get him back on the flank. 
You know it what I mean? Is. Because he's protecting the guys beside and him. And he's, t- yes, yeah, he's good. He is good. Yeah. He's good. Better than I thought he was. I thought he just got bigger. So I was way <laughs> wrong on that. So moving to stage five, and this is where I think the pinnacle of gameplay experience is. And this is started to happen for me, probably you guys as well, in Call of Archons. I don't think I am anywhere near this yet in Age of Ascension. But the call in Call of Archons, and I still feel that now when I go back to Call of Archons on the Crucible, in Stage 5, you're doing everything in Stage 4. So there's nothing that changes there, except now you're predicting what your opponent is going to be doing next turn, in the turn after. Not by knowing what's in their deck, but that might be part of it, especially in an Archon game. You should mm-hmm. definitely look at their cards and see, like, hmm, they have a board wipe. They're doing something here that makes me feel like they have that in their hand. So I'm going to maximize this way instead of do this so that I get Amber out of the guys that are on the board versus that, and then you put them in a predicament. Stage five is around predicting what your opponent's going to do, playing optimally so that they don't get as much value as they could if they go the way that you think. This is very true for Keyforge, and it's also true for a lot of other card games as well. So like being able to anticipate your opponent's moves is so important. Have you guys felt like you've been able to do that before? Yes, of course. Whenever um, I see a shadow deck, I'm like, oh, they could have bait and switch in their hand. Bait and switch is yeah. a perfect example of this. <laughs> but the problem with bait and switch... It's nerf now. It, well, it's nerf now, but yeah. the problem with bait and switch is that you just always were like, oh, they're going to have bait and switch. Exactly. Uh, so that card was just oppressing for Or that. like key charge. Or too up. much of attack. All those cards. I did get beat by a Night Forge yesterday. Oh, really? Which I was telling you guys about, which is oh. I've never actually personally got that to fire off, where... If you haven't forged a key this turn, you forge a key for four plus in shadows. And that actually won in the game. I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so um, me doing that, me playing against that Night Forge play wouldn't have changed. If I'd have known that he had that card and been able to do something differently, I looked at the game state and like, okay, could I have done something differently thinking about that card being in his hand? Yes. And the answer to that in this particular case was yes, because what I ended up doing uh, was I prioritized like gaining a ton more amber versus wiping off the two or three creatures he had on the board. Mm. So I still would have had enough amber to reap or to, to forge a key, but I could have knocked out two of his creatures. I think he had two on the board that would only let him get to nine amber and he would not have had enough to forge night forge, uh. do the night forge. So those type of plays that that become really difficult. Now, Night Forge is a card that you don't see very often. So I think every once in a while, you're just going to have those plays. And I actually don't regret, 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 regret. The, regret the way that I played that because I think it turned out um, I turn, it turned out really good. And I, it was really fun for my opponent, too. Like, he had a blast being able to, to, to do that Night Forge. Mm. So it was really fun because he had a good time. But um, there are times, though, where... For me, it's board wipes, because I, how many of you guys have, when I was in stage two, I would be playing against someone that was in like stage three, it was like clearly outplaying me, and they were starting to do some stuff that's predictive and balancing things out, and then they would board wipe me with like the gateway that gives them three chains. Yeah. Um... And then you're far, far behind at that point. So I don't know, do, do you guys agree that stage five is really like everything that we've talked about so far from your own personal play, plus being able to anticipate what your opponent's probably going to be doing, 
based on their play, based on their board, based on their houses, based on maybe their arcane card. Do you guys agree with that? Wait, what's the question? Do you agree that stage five is... I think stage five is pretty important. Predicting or, and playing, anticipating around your opponent? I think it is. Yeah. They're probably... Um, there might be another stage, though. There, there could, could be, be one after stage five that we don't know about yet. Yeah. Hmm. But I definitely I, um, do agree with you, though. Predicting your opponent's cards what they could have is very important. It's because, super important. Because um, in Call of Archons, if they had Untamed, I'm like, oh, they could have um, Chota. Chota or Key Charge, so I gotta destroy their creatures so then they can't forge their key. That's a perfect example of that. It mm. actually turned out they actually did have Chota in their hand. It actually stopped them from winning the game. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Another good example of this is when I was playing against the deck that had Epic Quest. Oh, oh yeah. So they had Epic Quest in play, and they had a bunch of cards in their archives. And I, I had the tree that makes them discard a random archive card. And I'm like, man, my play is suboptimal, but they've got a lot of cards in their archives. I'm oh, going to have to like get rid of those. And I ended up hitting one of their um, Sanctum guys in their archives. And they told me after the game that if I wouldn't have hit that, they would have got they would have won the game with Epic Quest. Wow. Because they would have had seven cards they were able to play in that turn. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. So like stuff like that where you're like, hmm, this seems suspicious. Like I need to <laughs> I need to get like rid of some of those. I don't know what's all in there, but let me just try to like play around that. It's stuff like that that I think makes a huge difference and really takes you to the level of being able to be great at the game. Yeah. Now there are days that you're just not playing well, and there and I have days like that too where I'm just tired and my mind's not working. I'm not able to see all the lines of play, and that's just gonna happen, and that's of okay. Course. Yeah. But when you're feeling that way, don't get tilted or just play a deck that you haven't played before and just have fun. You know what I mean? Don't be competitive. But if you're playing in a big vault tour, you need to go in rested and you need to go in focused. You need to like be able to think about everything. You need to get your plays right. You need to make sure that. Your opponent is making their plays that your opponent is not forgetting their chains. Not only are you focused on yourself, but you have to focus on your opponent as well and make sure that they're following what needs to be done. Because if anything is forgotten, it's both players' responsibility, not just the one. And that's very important. Hmm. Also, if you've got cards that modify, like the board state, you have to keep an eye on that. Like too. binding irons. Yeah. yeah. Succubus, for example. Um, make sure you draw to five, you know, that type of stuff. Or like, just don't forget this makes you draw to five, or you have to lose an amber. And if you time. have to, just put like your counters or whatever you have on top of your deck, so then you know that you draw one less card. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I do that a lot. I use stuff on top of my deck all the time to help me yeah. remember that there's something happening. Uh, just use like little damage counters sometimes. Up That's there. what I do. Yeah. And that other disc guy that has to be not on a flank till you lose streak, I believe. Yeah. Yes, and that guy is actually a lot of people forget about that. Because yeah. I had to remind people yesterday uh, quite a bit about it. Uh, anyway, we're going to jump into our next thing that we want to talk about. But first, these five these five tiers, what I would say for you guys is like figure out which one you're in. Work to the next one. But also, when you're helping new people, don't try to jump them up multiple tiers. I Just feel like a person has to come a tier at a time, yeah. a stage at a time. So if they're on stage one, tell them like, okay, for time being, just prioritize playing as many cards as you want. It'll make a huge difference for them. And I actually did this uh, for a few people, and they came to me and talked to me afterwards like, hey, I actually won a game. So they were losing everything to start with. The second guy, in the second, uh, third game he played, he actually won nice. that, day, that day. And I'm like, that's pretty awesome. 
And then there was a guy I was playing yesterday who you beat 3-0. Yeah. I ended up beating a bunch. And I'm like, hey, just to give you a little bit of advice, I wanted to help you go from stage two to stage three, which is you need to put pressure on me. You need to balance like what you're doing, playing cards, and put pressure on me. So I told him, like, try to get the six amber whenever you can. It may not be every time, but just keep that in the back of your mind. If you can get the six amber, weigh that against all your other lines of play. And he started doing that, and he was able to start beating me. Yeah. Because at that point, uh, we both were playing, like, sealed, you know, like, random decks that we never played before. And he was actually, he was able to put me in positions where I had no amber control. I'm like, all right, well, you're getting your second key. I'm just going <laughs> to try to gain as much as I can. Hopefully I can beat you. <laughs> Um, so it makes a stage three makes a huge difference when you get to that stage four adds a few level, a few pieces of uh, information to, the, to information and like percentages probably to your win percentages. And then stage five is when you can like start dominating with like an archon. Deck. Also with stage five, you could probably have that like in other stages too, predicting what could happen pieces of it pieces. yeah just yeah. pieces. yeah there's no clear line between any one of these these are just kind of like and i would say like i when i'm playing a sealed deck that i've never played before on a new set like i'm pretty sure i'm on stage three all the time like i'm just i don't know what's really in my deck i'm just playing i don't know what's my opponent's deck i don't know the cards so i'm just kind of like stage three i'm like balancing between Which? what i have and and then stage four when it is when you start knowing your deck. So maybe I go, I start a sealed tournament in stage three, and then stage four I start knowing my deck. And I'm, would you say you're stage five with your best deck you play with all the time? Stage five, I would be. So I have one, uh, I have two decks that I would say that I can play at a, a stage five because I know them so well, mm. and I also can tell you like early on if I'm probably gonna lose the game because. Me too. It's like, yeah, I've got nothing to answer this. I'm in big trouble. So, But I also know, like, wow, they're walking right into my trap that I'm setting up here. You came in the other day when I was playing Crucible. You're like, oh, you're behind. I'm like, I'm not behind. And I actually ended up, like, I let them get a key, and I set it up so that I ended up, like, stealing so they much. like, amp. 15 creatures on the board, though. He, he could have reaped so much, but he didn't. He was, play, he was playing right into my trap that I had, and I... I wanted him to reap because I had too much to protect that I knew was coming oh, up. And yes. I had doorstep to heaven and I had my asthma. So it was really fun because I was just like, oh, oh, you have seven, eight amber. I'm going to miasma you. And the next turn, you know what? I'm going to too much to protect you. And then I'm going to routine job. You so see, you're exactly at five amber. And then he would gain a bunch more. And he went, oh, you know what? I'm going to doorstep to heaven you. <laughs> so literally, I never let him get another key uh, after the first one. And I took so much amber from him. It was insane. Did he use uh, subtle maw to get rid of your too much to protect? No, he got rid of um, he got rid of one of my routine jobs. Oh, or my okay. nerve blast. One of those two. I think it was routine jobs. I think it was my routine job. Routine it actually job. was okay because I had yeah. another one in my archive at the time. Yeah, uh, with my Fagin deck, I have the same thing that happens with you. I like plan ahead, and I archive my uh, Evernessen principles, and then when. Uh, and then it seems like I'm behind, but then I actually come back and steal a bunch of amber from them. And I have this one creature that lets me get a discarded card from my discard pile, uh, and I can archive it. Yeah, that's yeah. a good card. That card is ridiculous. He beat me with that several times. He's like, and I, <laughs> I would kill it, and somehow he'd get another one or something. But anyway, 
He would archive the top card from his discard pile, and I would be Evanescence Principal. Oh no, it's a different card. It actually can let me go through my whole discard pile and get one oh, archive. Oh wow, okay. okay. And I just keep bringing back Evanescent Principal, just, just keep having your amber. It was brutal though, because you did that to me like three times in a row. But you were locked on chain, but you still ended up winning, right? I did, yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, it's I only can't one actually chain. Stop. It's only one. It's only one chain, but here's the thing: it's like I hit, I hit seven, eight amber. He'd ever nest his principal. I had seven, eight amber again. He'd ever nest his principal. I mean, you might have did it three also. times actually. I don't remember, but and I'm like, man, I need my third key. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm gonna kill that guy. And then he ended up doing something else to get another Everness principle. And then mm. he gained six amber, and I like had no amber control. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't yeah. believe I lost this game. All right. So I think that's a pretty good ending to this. We have actually played a lot of, lot of Keyforge this past week. When Adam and I, Andrew's got a hurt hand right now, so he hasn't been able to play it. Yeah. So he got on a bike accident. Yeah. But Adam and I played for like five or six hours last night at our local game store. It wasn't even an official tournament. We were just all casually playing. And just shout out to, to our local game store, Cape Fear Games, and to the people that showed up yesterday. It was a fun, fun time. Like, I really enjoyed hanging out with everyone. And we're hoping to do that a lot more. Hoping to be able to go out there and play um, lots more Key Forge at our local game store. Even yeah. if it isn't for an official tournament, just for fun. And I actually got quite a few people from my office to show up there, too. We had, like, 10, 12 people. Maybe even about more. About 12, I think. 12 people for not even an official event was pretty good, That's I think. That's awesome. And I think it's just paying for to go into the event is just a thing. That's why people are not really coming. Yeah, I mean, and then the, some guys were telling us that there's a store about an hour north of here that does weekly tournaments that we might try to start hitting up. Yeah. Oh, an, an hour, hour? An hour. It's not bad, though, if it's on a weekend. I don't mind driving up for an hour. If it's, like, Saturday afternoon. Anyway, I hope these stages of, like, gameplay have actually helped you guys. And to me, this is one that I've been thinking a lot about, especially as helping new players. Yeah. And just remember to kind of pick out where you are, where the player you're teaching is. And then what's even cool is when you can start picking out where your opponent is, because then you can really change your strategy around, oh, they're playing, and they're in stage two right now. And I'm going to be able to beat them just by doing this level of strategy. If you're both at stage two, it's going to be a pretty even match. Yeah. And then try to pair people up that are at equal stages at certain points. So if they're at stage two, do you think reaping with your creatures a bunch would actually help you win? Yeah. And if they're at stage one, do you think just playing a bunch of cards you have would help you win? Yeah, so stage two beats stage one. Yeah. <laughs> stage three beats stage two. Not all the time. Not all the time. Because sometimes. there's still randomness. Stage four beats stage three. And stage, and stage five. five beats stage four. Pretty much all. So basically, if you think about... How you level up. If you if you want to beat someone that's in stage one, you need to go to stage two. And your win rate will go from 50-50, stage one versus stage one, to probably 75%, 75% win to 25. Yeah. I'm making those numbers up, but I, <laughs> I will just tell you, like I do know from personal experience, seeing people, when they change and go up a level, they definitely get better against the level before them. Um be interested to have actual metrics on it, but I do know for a fact that that's the level that it does increase your win percentage as you go up. Yeah, maybe not, maybe not as high as what I'm thinking, but definitely a lot. Any other thoughts for this week, guys? Um, before we end it, also for the KeyForge decks, like to see the stats of the decks, it also says the um the win rate for each card on there. That is actually pretty cool. It does. So, have you guys been looking at that? I yeah, have, we yeah. have. I think it's really any of important. them surprise you. Actually, there was one. Um, 
I believe it was Urchin. Yeah, Urchin had like barely, barely above 50%. You would think it's like more 60 or 70, but it's like 52% when right. Were you, is that what you were surprised about too? Yeah. Yeah, but there's also another card. It was just in my head. Um, It had like a huge, gigantic lose streak, and I thought it was actually really good. Mm. And now I'm starting to think it's kind of bad now. <laughs> so it is interesting to check that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, actually, every once in a while, I'll look on there, and I'm like, huh, that card isn't doing as good as I thought it was doing. So I'd be interested to see, because bait and switch has changed now, but I know mm. at one point, bait and switch was like 57 or 58% win rate. Too much protect was high, too. Too much to protect is the best card right now. It is amazing. So that is another final tip to end this episode. If your opponent is playing shadows, don't go too much over 6 amber. Because if you think they have it too much to protect. Yeah. Also for Brognar, too, because they have the card that if your opponent has seven more, they go to four. Yeah, there is some cards that attack seven. Yeah. Gatekeeper. Like, there's stuff. So be careful. If you're playing Age of Ascension, I will tell you, you're probably safe to just gain as much amber as you want. Like, honestly, it feels that there's things that can mess with you. But not that much. But not that much. Like, there's the um, double your amber and then interdimensional graft where it steals the amber. That's oh, pretty brutal. I wish I had the other card of my deck. I know. I, I love that combo. Uh, I wish I could remember. Binate Rupture. Binate Rupture and then interdimensional graft is a good combo. So there are things, but it doesn't feel as painful as it did in Call of Archon. It just feels a lot more fun. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for us. Yeah. Checking out until next week. You guys play lots of Keyforge. Keep gaming. Keep gaming. Bye, Keep guys. Gaming, yes.